Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Bravo, macht Tempo, wartet auf harte Herzschwanke, kommt und jetzt ist es Klos. Also, Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es ist heuer, Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Pujat, Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of the Spider Bundesliga podcast. Today we are going to recount all the action from match day nine. It may seem a bit weird that this episode has come out on the Monday. Normally we'd go go for it on the Wednesday, um, but uh, yeah, I had food poisoning, which wasn't particularly fun, so I obviously didn't get a lot done. Um, so yeah, that was that's to better explain as to why we didn't get it out earlier, but. Uh, yeah, thank you for sticking around. Obviously, it's the international break at the moment, um, and teams are getting prepared for the World Cup, or teams are getting relegated in the Nations League, <laughs> England. Um, so yeah, it will be very interesting to see how that pans out, but we will talk about all the action that happened the previous week on of the ninth match day of this season. We are now a quarter of the way through the 2022-23 campaign, and there's a lot to discuss. As always, alongside me to discuss what happened Every match day, if possible, is the one and only Eva Lottebola. Eva, good morning on this uh, Sunday. It looks sunny in uh, in Bielefeld. How are things? Uh, good, good. I decided to, um, yeah, really ruin my voice forever with going to a concert Friday night, which was really great. But um, <laughs> I think my body really hates me. So, A, international break, let's go and have some rest. And I was like, no, not not going through that. Um, I think we both I really had to look at the results again. But I think for, we, we're both very happy that there was some time uh, since, since the results of the weekend uh, to go through that. Um, I mean, we have seen some very interesting results, some maybe unexpected ones. As always, I can just can kind of at some sort at some stage, I'm gonna just have a soundboard with me saying all the same sentences all the time at this intro. Um, yeah, but no matter when we do this, I'm always very happy going through all things to the Bundesliga with you. And so let's start. Ditto. Yeah, we shall get started and we will head to the Volkspark-Stadion in Hamburg. This was the top spieler, Hamburg SV against Fortuna Dusseldorf. Daniel Thune getting the opportunity to return to his old stomping ground and maybe enact some revenge. But he wouldn't have had what, what, uh, what came out in mind because, well, Fortuna, Fortuna didn't really show up in this game. They were comprehensively beaten really struggled going forward in attack, and Hamburg, in the end, had the last laugh. Player who was outstanding in this game was Bakri Yatta. Uh, there were a few Hamburg fans who were miffed as to why he wasn't in Kicker's Team of the Week. Uh, even a few Hamburg employees were talking to me about why he didn't get in. I don't know. I don't get to do the Kicker Team of the Week, so that's the easiest answer. But he assisted the opening goal. He found Robert Glatzel. Glatzel has six on the season. And then Yatta getting in the action himself with a goal in the first minute of added time. What does the mean win? Well, Hamburg are now top of the table. We'll discuss as to what happened elsewhere later on. But uh, Eva, 
Hamburg doing enough. There were some interesting changes to the way the team played. Laszlo Benish was was playing in more of a Sonny Kittel role. Thought he was brilliant in this game as well. But it's not always pretty with Hamburg under Tim Walter. But something we've noticed of you know this season is that they're winning the games that they can get themselves into trouble with. And this was a bit of a danger game for them, but they took the three points. Yeah, and I mean, you got to say, uh, at some stage, you could have thought if Dusseldorf was anywhere near scoring a goal, that Heisel's conversion of chances could have gone very, very wrong uh, because they had so, so many chances and so, so many attempts. And really showed good football. I mean, you, you already spoke about Banish and Yetta. I really put, want to put Dumpy on that sheet as well. I thought he was great. Um, with with having Dompey on the left and Yatta on the right, uh, they put a lot of pressure on Dusseldorf. Um, and that was, uh, you, you could really see that. They had a lot of problems defending that. And in my opinion, Highsford could have could easily one or two goals more out of that game. Um, and I mean, when... It, you you got to say at the same time, Hammer wasn't always clear cut in defense as well. I mean, there was this one scene where they had a huge offensive mishap, uh, but Tanaka couldn't use that. Uh, and I mean, I was a bit reminded of last week uh, when when we said that uh, Tanaf, Tanaka could have scored the fifth goal, um, and he didn't. And I thought, okay, well, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter then, but it really mattered here uh, to not score this one. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, we know that away from home, Fortuna Düsseldorf doesn't bring the same sort of self-confidence on the pitch and the, the kind of, yeah, well, understanding um, that they that they do at home. I mean, they've never lost a home game under Daniel Tune. They have lost several of their away games now under Tune. Um and and I have the feeling they're kind of a second FC Heidenheim when it comes to that, mm. where uh, er- ironically Heidenheim isn't that kind of a way this season, but where we always talked about that they know what to play at home, that they bring the confidence, that they just know, well, the opponent can have his worst or his best day, we're just going to do what we can do. But away from home, they seem to struggle a lot. I mean, they have plenty of, injured players and stuff still, so we can't really get that out. But, um, I mean, they, they had to really early on sub in, uh, in in defense because of an injury, so they have been suffering under this as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, defensively, this was not a great effort. I mean, you put down, they must do a better job against Bielefeld. I would tend to disagree um, I mean, they. I think the, for them, the international break really came at a good time. Um, obviously, they won their home game, but I mean, had a lot to do with their opponent not really showing up for that one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and it's. Uh, I think this is why that that their international break came came for at a very good time for them because injured player might return. Uh, Daniel Tune might have some more options for the game against Bielefeld. Um, but I would obviously tend to agree they have to do better. Uh, for Hamburg, they play against Hanover, the 
has fouled dual derby, whatever you want to call it, in that way, because obviously they both call themselves has foul. Um, it's yeah, I I'm not sure about that game um, at all because seeing how Hanover can score even if they don't play a good game, and at the same time Hamburg failing to really replicate on the score sheet from time to time what they bring to the pitch. Do you think it might be uh, a game worth watching, uh, in my opinion? So, yeah, we, we kind of covered on what both teams have to go through next. Um, and, yeah, I think Hamburg fans really hope it's it's not going to be three times hitting the crossbar uh, again <laughs> this time. Yeah, I mean, it is that's going to be a fascinating game. That is one of the Friday kickoff games. <clears throat> um, not World Feed, which is a surprise because they love to pander a bit of Hamburg on the World Feed. Um but yeah, excluding that defensive mishap and then Kovnatsky had a goal disallowed because of offside, which was the correct decision. And you know, I don't know if we have any problems with that. But um, yeah, they, I thought overall defensively relentless. They they went with Tim Leibold at left back instead, which I think long run, that's still better than uh, Mulheim, but that's just personal preference. Mulheim's good, but he makes a lot of individual mistakes that tend to lead to concession and you, you, which is again sounds almost ridiculous considering Hamburg have conceded five goals all season they've had six clean sheets in their first nine games um you know they're exceptional defensively but I think they just got a bit more out of live board you did mention the injuries with Dusseldorf so they lost uh Zimmerman who had the head clash with Glatzel and maybe Again, we can talk about concussions again if we want, but you know, we're surprised that Glatzel continued. But you know, what do I know? Um, but so it did bring Gavoui on, and then uh, Kabovnik, who's on loan from Brighton and Hove Albion, moved to right back. And you know, it's quite interesting with him talking to a couple of people in Polish football that you know, Kabovnik's move was designed for him to play more in the midfield and. Well, I think that's where Brighton see him as well as more of a fullback, and yeah, so um, big, you know, big win for Hamburg. They they move to the top. Dusseldorf they stay in the top six with uh, those results. Um, but yeah, I, I just was disappointed that that they didn't didn't challenge them as much as they did in that final third. I didn't really feel like they were really threatened um, when Dusseldorf went forward. So yeah, big game. They got Bielefeld at home. Their home record, as Eva mentioned, really, really good. They scored twice as many goals there. They're three wins and one draw at uh, the um, Mirko Spiel Arena, which will, of course, give Bielefeld fans lots of hope that they may sneak a result. We'll talk about them here later on. Um, let's move on, then, to the Oster Duel at the Oster Stadion in Rostock. It was Hunter against Magdeborg, Jens Hartel, getting a first crack against his former club, Magdeborg. And uh, there was one person who was um, the star of the show in this uh, orchestrated performance, and it was Kai Proger, who scored twice in this game. He scored on the half-hour mark, and then he scored 11 minutes later. Lucas Froda scored on 62 minutes, initially given as offside, 
through the build-up, through Engelson, but correct use of the video assistant referee ensured that that was a good goal. Then Magdeburg had a chance to get a goal back when uh, Tatsuyu Ito was fouled by Ryan Malone. But Baris Attic in his return with a miserably poor penalty, which was easily saved by Marcus Kolker, and, and Kolker celebrated it. I love it when goalkeepers celebrate penalties like they've just scored. It's a, it, it's like scoring a goal for them. Um, but Attic would get a consolation in the end uh, in virtually the last minute of added time. Uh, he's got two goals in the season. Rostock moves up to ninth. It ends uh, an opportunity for Magdeburg to make it two wins on the bounce. They return to the bottom of the table. We'll talk about why that was later on. But um, the league's worst defence looked like the league's worst defence again on the weekend. It was um, constantly under pressure. And it was interesting to see how, you know, Rostock matched up. They've had... the. They've added some new players. We talked about Van Drongelen, Lekorki, um, you know, Lee, who's still still integrating. But, you know, they tried Lekorki and Van Drongelen, and they didn't, you know, in a back three with Fruita. Hartle returns to more of a conventional back four. They certainly looked a bit more stable defensively. And it almost was that just having those familiar names that they're so used to... Uh, Gave them a bit more confidence going forward, and in the end, uh, it's hard to defy that they were they were very much worth three points that they won. Well, but you gotta say if you look at the first, I want to say twenty minutes of the game, um, you'd be very surprised by the outcome later on because it was I think after twenty to twenty five minutes, it was five to one shots on goal for Magdeburg, not for Rostock, but for Magdeburg. So in the beginning of the game. I would tend to agree that later on, or as soon as they start scoring themselves, it meant at the same time they were more stable in the back, but especially in the first 20 minutes, they didn't look that stable. They Mm. didn't look like, I mean, I think still mentally the result against Fortuna, I think if if Magdeburg would have scored the first goal, I'm, I'm not like wouldn't be sure this game would have, would have ended that way because just it takes its turns then um but yeah Magdeburg did a lot to ensure it's not going to go like against us at all I mean Bokhorn probably had his worst day of football I, I could imagine or at least in German football um I mean I have I really really have no idea what he's doing there um and I mean then once again, then you have the first goal for Rostock and Schuler has the big chance mm. to level right away. So you had so many moments in this game where you could say, okay, there we go and there that the game could have really shifted. And um, yeah, Brugger back again. I mean, and I know that some Rostock fans were like, not really sure who's, who wants to score goals here. And I mean, Kai Brugger was like, well, I'm, I will do that. Back at it. Um and, yeah, I mean, Magdeburg had their chances afterwards. They had huge, huge chances breaking that Rostock barrier. But then, once again, Bokhorn attempts. I'm, I'm not really sure. Attempts to clear the ball. I'm, I'm not sure what he does there. Yeah. And then, obviously, it's it's 3-1, I think. And then, uh, 3-0. And then, obviously... 
Artic has the chance to to make it three uh, one as you've mentioned misses it in not a very good fashion um, and then so at the end then it's deservedly the win for Rostock because Rostock converted their chances when asked to mm. I think this is really 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 the outcome of this game Rostock when they stepped up they they brought it home and that was really the difference because you, you have to say Magdeburg was not in a horrible position mm. just going forward but defensively they really really destroyed everything they were trying to do up front um, and I think that was really I mean you really had those Brugger on the side for Rostock who had really a lot of uh, shots on, on, on goal not a lot on target at the same time you had Schuler. So I think the the biggest problem is for Magdeburg really with Artic back at it as well. They really have to, yeah, recreate some sort of hierarchy up front as well. Um, I think I have the feeling everyone is depending on the other offensive character to to do their job, and it doesn't really look good um, going forward. I mean, we you had the game against uh, against Kaiserslautern, I think. Where you you had the feeling, uh, well, this could really be. They they scored four goals. They came back. Uh, where you really had the feeling they they can do it. And yeah, I think for a lot of teams, this international break could could really help. I mean, they have a game against a team coming up who who we're gonna talk about later, but who kind of stops some sort of really bad negative spiral down the road, down the table. Um, it's not going to be easy. Um, at the same time, you have Rostock playing against Kiel, who were just completely broken by Eintracht Braunschweig in a friendly <laughs> match. <laughs> Leon Lauberbach wasn't really playing with his former club, uh, with <laughs> putting four past them uh, in a 7 0 win over, mm. over Hotchin Kiel. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think. Um, now this this international break was the really last time before we come to the winter break to already trying to turn something around and we're going to see which teams really really talked about the essentials um in the upcoming weeks until the winter break um and i think that's uh, that's going to be yeah very interesting time for us uh, very challenging times for the teams in the bottom half of the table because um, when we talk about the next team, there are a lot of what ifs. Like if you if we one win can and one defeat can bring you to the, out of the bottom three, but it can easily put you back in uh, if you if you lose when everyone else around you wins. And I think that's. I mean, this is what we, as neutrals, that we love it, that while you think after, like, five match days, okay, those three are going to be there for the rest of the season, and then because it's so early on in the season, a lot of things can change. Uh, and I think that's, as neutrals, what we love, that just two results can completely reorganize that whole table. And I think that's what we have been seeing this weekend, especially, 
but I think we will see much more of it in the upcoming weeks. And um, I said this before, but I think table positioning at the end of the first half of the season never meant less than this season. Um, and that's why, um, yeah, I'm going to... It's going to be challenging for us, obviously, because it's always hard, very hard to predict uh, how things turn out uh, and to analyze because it's it's going to be very, very difficult going forward as well because you do not know what will happen and in, in two and a half months of of essentially not being able to in any way analyze what's going to happen. But yeah, um, we love football. We, we gotta we gotta <laughs> sort through that. Yeah, it it is one of it is definitely the most unconventional season in 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 the Spider Bundesliga, and all leagues will feel the same because and I mean, we had the COVID season. We that, still it, say this is the most unconventional. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this time, forces of pa- it uh, instead of it being a, a, an act of uh, God or, or however you want to call it, this has been uh, manufactured into um, existence this season where it is very unconventional where, you know, midway through November, we just stop playing football and then we pick it up in January and a lot of teams will have to hit the reset button. Um, And it's almost like a brand new season. And that's the way that they should view it because it'll be 17 games left and it'll be game on. Um, It's not lost on how important a win it is for Rostock. They've all their points have come from wins this year. They've got no draws. The only team who hasn't had a draw all season, four wins and five defeats um, for one of the worst goal-scoring teams in the league. And, you know, they have scored a third of their goals against Magdeborg. That uh, says a lot of where they're at at the moment. But, um, yeah, big win for them um, going forward. We mentioned Kiel. Eva mentioned Kiel. And we're going to talk about them now, obviously. Now, obviously, that's 7-0 result happened uh, after this one, as we're during the international break. Reminds me of when Nuremberg were beaten 7-0 by Ingolstadt, and uh, we all thought that was not a legitimate way of how those two teams played, and then Ingolstadt beat them 5-0. So, um, anyway, Kiel were at Bielefeld, and and Bielefeld were coming off uh, that 1-0 defeat, ironically, against Nuremberg. Uh, That was a last-minute defeat. So they were hoping to turn the tide against a Kiel side that have been... Okay, but they also were coming off a defeat and hoping to turn the side. So who would get the uh, the first punch in in this uh, title bout? Bielefeld would. It didn't take long either. Uh, they were in no rush. A bit of slapstick at the back and Robin Hack scores. Video assistant referee took a good three minutes to have a look at this one, but it was clear that the ball was engaged by Willem Zander. Hack, the recipient on the end of it, tour for Armenia. Then, an ex-Kiel player would get on the score sheet. Yanni Serra. Wonderful ball in from Robin Hack. Serra with a great header. Uh, he came off limping, but he was okay. And 2-0 at the break. Deservishly. They were under a lot of pressure. Bielefeld and the shot tally, as we'll explain in the second half, it got a bit out of hand. As Kiel were looking to get the best possible start to start the second half. Uh, they conceded again. Messiah Okugawa. It seems just like we're saying the same names. It's Hak, it's Okugawa. Unsurprising. Okugawa has three goals this season. So at 3-0, you know, Daniel Scherning, who's 
showing a lot of passion when they score goals. He's celebrating, arms are going everywhere, getting the crowd involved. But he couldn't have predicted what would happen just 11 minutes later, which would be that Kiel would get a goal back through Alexander Muling, and then it just became, you know, whole squeaky bum time, as they say. Because then Finn Bartle scored on 68 minutes, and at 3 2, uh, the I'm sure the very optimistic Bielefeld fans in the stadium were uh, expecting that um, Kiel would get a third goal and maybe even a fourth. But uh, fortunate for them, uh, there was a situation, and we will talk about it in a moment, uh, between Pretel and Bartles in the box. Bartles goes down. They want a penalty. Uh, referee Dr. Anna Arnick says no dice, and from that preceding moment, Bielefeld hit on the counter, it's Huck, it's Lazma, and then Brian Lazma scores, goal number two. Uh, Hokoval was given a yellow card for abusing the referee. Referee didn't want anything to do with it. VAR didn't want anything to do with it. And that is all was written in that game, 4-2 the final score for Bielefeld. It means that they move out of the bottom three. They are in 14th place and relief for many of them heading into the break. Um, Eva, you were obviously at the stadium while this game was happening, and uh, an interesting scenario took place where Bielefeld were absolutely cruising down Easy Street, 3-0 up, the sun was shining, it was a perfect day, and then the moment Kiel scored, it certainly seemed as if not only did the mood change, but the game changed, and you can even look at the shot chart. They had 31 shots on goal in this game, Kiel, to the 11 that Bielefeld had for the entire game. But I would argue that the 11 shots that Bielefeld had compared to the 31 that Kiel missed up were far more effective, seven of those being on target. Big win. We talk about this for Bielefeld because they had such a miserable start to the season. They've now taken... Let me get my maths correct. They've taken eight points uh, since Daniel Schoening has taken charge. Two wins. They've got a loss in there, a couple of draws. How do you feel about the performance? Because Kiel were throwing the kitchen sink, the bathroom, the garage, the house. They were throwing everything. And Bielefeld just held on. Like, it's amazing, right? Like, it just you, just, you feel helpless in the stadium. And you've like, I've read this story before. But it's a big result for Armenia. And, and, and for the first time this season, uh, if not for match day one, they're out of the bottom three. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, um, with, with that game, I mean, um, obviously we know that this can happen, but I also think at the same time, it's not like, it's not a coincidence that we, when we scored first, we scored twice at home four times. So this is what we have been saying or what Armenia fans have been saying. It's going to be a very different game. If Armenia scores first, I mean, they have to get, and and I mean, the thing is obviously Kiel having 31 shots on target, I want to say at least six of them were like three meters above the goal because they had so, so many shots that were just taken Mm. outside of the box with no real precision and then over the goal. 
they had this. And I mean, then you had Martin Freisel, who was brilliant when needed. It wasn't his fault. They conceded two goals. Mm. Um, and I mean, you, you could really see what a huge factor Robin Huck is. I mean, he was once again very amazing. I mean, the the first goal was a bit of a bit of slapstick, obviously. Um, but I mean, the, the way he delivers for the team, and I mean, he you could say it was very emotional for him because um, yeah, after the game in in Darmstadt, um, he travelled home because his grandfather died, and he said in an interview after the game. Uh, that because of his grandfather, he plays football. Uh, so I thought it was a really beautiful story. Um, I mean, you, I did like, I have been saying this, I do. I did like Serra up front. I really liked that he got his goal in this game as well. Um, because you could, what I really liked was he is responsible for the 1-0 as well, obviously. What Channing has been saying since he took over is that his concentration at the moment is on transition of play. Yeah. Really good defending and throughout this good defending getting the transition of play. And this is the first goal, actually. I mean, kick off, then you want keep going forward. Ochipka has the ball, sticks it through to Okugawa on the left, who then passes it through to Seva who is not in the middle, but actually on the left side to get it to hack. And I mean, um, Sarah was, was injured, had to be taken off. But I, I I do really think that it meant a lot to him that he was kind of responsible a bit for the for the first goal as well and getting his own goal. Um, I mean, obviously, we only have Lasma as... Mm. Uh, yeah, it's coming in for him as a substitution. But also last month, I think he he's a much better sub. I mean, this is Sarah Radchakovsky and Andrade were in for last month, Klimovic and Ramos. And I think, well, Radcha has had the least impact. I think he wasn't really in the game. Uh, the, the only scene where, we, where you really discussed him was the, the 1-0 where... I mean, in the end, it's the right decision. But honest mm-hmm. to God, why did it take three minutes? <laughs> I don't understand that. Why has the referee on the pitch go and take a look when it's when the VAR can just say, guys, it's quite clearly that the ball isn't coming from the Bielefeld player. You don't really have to discuss that. But okay. Uh, and you could really see that that going on for so long really put a weird I know, cover over that whole game. It was an entertaining game to watch, I think, especially for neutral fans, because you had a lot of scenes going forward, but I mean, it was just very efficient. And I mean, at the moment, this is all we need. I, I said this before, I take a very undeserved 1-0 win, at least we, we get the win. Um, and I, I think it was really, I mean, we could have gotten five in this game if Lasma would have found the cross and not doing it himself. But I mean, once again, Huck, I, I have no idea how much he can run throughout a game. It's, mm. it's amazing. He's everywhere. He's in the back. He's up front. Um, and obviously, we have to talk about that that 4-2. Listen, I, I'm biased here. So I'm saying I think it's the correct decision. Because I think the referee is standing right beside that when it's happening. Mm. 
And if it, we have been saying this for every sort of VR decision, what at what level do you say, okay, it's a clear decision that was wrong? And then it's the communication, whether did you see there was a foul? No, I didn't. Then I go out and say, okay, I didn't see this. All right, then it's going to be a penalty or it's going to be a foul in general or a red card. But I do doubt that he hasn't seen it. And you could see that he was in VAR contact. Mm. And once again, this is where we need transparency because probably the the com- communication was someone like, did you see there was a foul? Yeah, I did. And I don't want to recall it. Like, in my opinion, also Bartels falls too late. Like if he would fall with the initial contact, but he actually, what looks like makes him fall is that he grabs Prithel's shirt and then he slips. And so I thought, okay, well, in the end, maybe it's too easy to fall. Um, and then obviously it sounds weird, but probably because you have a goal after that, like the level where you actually get in, you have two decisions to overrule them. It it shouldn't make a difference, but I do think it does uh, because you don't only have to say, okay, I'm get- giving them a penalty when I decided before that I didn't, but you have to say, okay, that was foul enough to take away the goal mm. from the opponents and give it there. And I think in the end, Obviously, as mentioned, I'm biased. I can understand if Q fans think differently. <laughs> um, but I do think that it, like, it wasn't a mistake in the end. I Once again, if Anna Arning decides on the pitch, it's a foul, I'm going to give a penalty. Mm. Won't say anything against it. But because the VAR checked it, and I watched it plenty of times, and then if you also compare it to how the game played out throughout what Anna Arning decided on the pitch, what was foul and not, I think it fits to the game. Mm-hmm. Like it it fits into how we refereed that game. So obviously I know I'm biased, not saying that I'm not, because it has a lot to do with that there was a goal afterwards. Mm-hmm. But at the same time I do think that you can decide it that way. It's one of those... It's one of those really interesting ones where had it been given a penalty initially, it would have been harder to overturn it because it has to be clear and obvious. And this was one of those foul potential penalty decisions that could have easily gone either way. And the referee took it a, st- a stance where he believed that it was not a penalty. And, you know, they, it's the classic play to the whistle. Kill stops kind of playing. They want to appeal and Bielefeld gets a two-on-one situation on a counter-attack and they score. You know, and it's such basic stuff where you just you keep playing. And you don't complain until there's a stoppage. Complain when there's a stoppage. Don't complain to the point where Hulk Aval is on his own and Hack and Lazma are just breathing down. It was like, well, the fourth goal is on you guys. The rest of the team starts to track back. And by that stage, the wheels were already in motion. The train had already left the station. And 
that was it. Like, it's just, yeah, I, it, 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 yeah, it's, it's one of those rule one question, questionably difficult decisions where, as I said before, had it been given a penalty, that's not, I don't think it gets overturned. I think it's a pen, it stays as a penalty. But because it's not given a penalty, you know, it's got to be clear and obvious. The thing that will frustrate me is that if this weekend we see an identical situation and it's given as a penalty, then then we would get then then I don't even know anymore. That's the thing. So yeah. Anyway, big games for both clubs. Uh, Bielefeld are at, at uh, Dusseldorf. They're hoping for win number one on the road. They've only got two draws away from the Schuko Arena. Um, Kiel have got Hansa. Uh, both games are on Saturday afternoon. Let's take break number one. And on the other side, we're going to head to the Merckstadion and Ballenfeld Tour as Darmstadt took on Nuremberg. Darmstadt were hoping to break a string of consecutive draws. Three, in fact, when they welcomed Nuremberg to their home patch on Saturday afternoon. A key figure of what how, what Darmstadt tends to do in games is that they try and kill their opponent early. Early goals, getting advantage, manageable advantage, sit back and relax. And they pretty much did that in this game. Uh, 2-0 the final score. Goals from Tobias Kemper and Philip Tietz. Tietz has five this season. His goal was assisted very nicely. Um, but they did get a little bit lucky in this game, it has to be said. Potential handball that was missed... It looked like handball, but anyway. Um, but to, to kind of get an idea of where they're at in terms of their season, they had, um, you know, they've moved into the top three for the first time in quite some time. Um, but yeah, what they did against Nerdberg was quite simple. It was get the goals. They're very efficient going forward, but uh, they don't really look to attack when they've got quite an, an advantage as proven by the fact they didn't register a shot in the final 33 minutes of this game. Nuremberg were pretty ordinary. Um, they looked disjointed, a little bit unorganized in the early phases, rattled by the opening goal. and <sighs> This wasn't a particularly um, exciting game. Let's just put it that way. It was very cagey. Um, Nuremberg had a lot of possession, but um, you know when you're averaging a shot every ten minutes, it's fair to say that uh, you're not really going to threaten many defenses with that. And it would be fair to say that Nuremberg did nowhere near enough to get a result in this game. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I was a bit after after this first eight minutes oh, or ten minutes, I was a bit reminded of the Darmstadt Bielefeld game, um, very similar where. Downshot scored very early on, um, and then kind of you had that where you talked about it should have been a penalty in my opinion as well. I couldn't really understand it either, especially of what we have been seeing was given as handball um, this season. Once again, communication and transparency would, would make everything so much easier. Mm. Um, and I mean, then obviously. Damsher took advantage of Nuremberg really not, yeah, not defending set pieces as well as not really doing anything. Um, I mean, they were way, way, way too harmless. Beckesa probably had the best chance of the game for Nuremberg, and that's so 
yeah, not really good. And I mean, in a way, Darmstadt's uh, tactic didn't, did work out in the end, although it wasn't pretty. I mean, I think they're, they're happy they didn't concede. I mean, I think if, if it would have been only a 1-0 lead, I'm not sure. I mean, we never know. Um, but I think this, uh, yeah, it was good for them that after they conceded against Heidenheim, they conceded against Bielefeld um, late in the game that they... Yeah, kept a clean sheet in this one. Um, and yeah, the win was never really in some sort of danger, um, which had a lot to do with with, with Nuremberg. I mean, we said after, or I said after the Bielefeld Nuremberg game, I'm not sure what it means for both teams going forward. Um, that probably for, for Bielefeld, it creates more problems, but because Nuremberg. With the chances, they, they had a lot of chances in the game, only scored very late in the game. In this game, they didn't offer anything going forward. So, yeah, it, it's very difficult to put them somewhere. Um, I think it's still safe to say that it was just, it was important to get three points against Bielefeld, but it, it really shows that they have the work cut out for them. Uh, they had the work cut out of, for them in. Uh, this international break. They will play Sunday against Karlsruhe. We're going to speak about them next. Um, I think they're even a bigger trouble than, than Nuremberg is, but at the same time, it's, it's, I think it's going to be a game where both sides will really, really concentrate on their defensive work. So I would argue it's not going to be a pretty game to watch, um, just considering what, like, how they performed at the same time we speak about two managers who always come up with ideas in games like this and come up with ideas to surprise us and they both coach teams where we never know which performance or which face we're going to see of them in this game so i mean nobody knows could be a 7-7 in the end (laughs) um (laughs) You never know. He's like uh, he praying. It's fight league. I'm never, never say never. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for Darmstadt, I think really, I think the game against Paderborn mm. is really going to be their biggest test yet, because it's it's at Paderborn where we know Paderborn brings their strong suit. Paderborn has a lot of rage uh, in them. Because of what happened to them last match day, we're going to speak about that later as well. So this is really, I think this is really going to be the like the biggest task in a way for both teams so far. And I'm as of now, I'm not willing to bet on who is coming, like who is going to win the, going to win that test. We have two really, really huge Friday night games. With Hamburg versus Hanover and Darmstadt versus Paderborn. Oh, Paderborn versus Darmstadt. It's huge. Really, really huge. Um, and I don't know about you. I'm really, really looking forward to watch this um, because I think we will, yeah, we will see how all of those teams will perform under that sort of stress level. And um, it's not going to be easy. And I mean, Darmstadt has then Fortuna Dusseldorf next. So two very huge, huge games for them. Um, although they obviously play at home against Dusseldorf, um, 
we're really going to see that. And uh, yeah, as mentioned, Nürnberg plays Karlsruhe and then Holstein Kiel. So both teams rather in the bottom half of the table or second half, not want to say bottom half, but second half of the table um, where they want to get results out of that. And they, especially against against Karlsruhe, they really, really need to as well. Yeah, those Friday night games are really tantalising. It's a great shame that the uh, so far uh, they've only announced that there's one World Feed game for next weekend, um, <clears throat> which we'll talk about that later when those teams come up. But um, yeah, it, it's kind of it's kind of interesting the way that Darmstadt are going. You'd be like, well, they're not. It doesn't feel like they're going that well, but they're eight games unbeaten since they lost on match day one, which is extraordinary because they've really done it in such a quiet manner. Five wins, three draws in that spell. So, you know, it is quite... They can easily turn it on. It doesn't feel like they've really got out of first gear, to be honest. They're just kind of kicking about. You know, they're doing, they're doing the basics well. They defend well excluding the game against Kaiserslautern where they defended absolutely poorly. But, um, yeah, they're fine. Nuremberg's the problem. I think for them, you know, that Karlsruhe game is a massive danger game for them. Um, they didn't have a single shot on target in this game and they didn't look like they were going to have a shot on target in this game. They just look a bit lost again. And... You know, we talk about the importance of winning and and how that can change the momentum and culture of like the, the you know the environment. It didn't really feel like it did anything for Nuremberg whatsoever, um, because they were flat early on. They let Darmstadt dictate the play. They gave up two really, really soft goals. So I don't know. Um, I don't know where they're at, and their next three games could be anything. They could win all the next three. They could lose the next three, and then then the conversation really turns to the manager. So we'll see what's going to happen with them. I am looking forward to that Paderborn game, though, because the last time we mentioned Paderborn as a litmus test for a team, that team gave up seven goals. So, um, Eva, yes, do you want to chime in? I just want to correct myself. Obviously, Kiel is still in the bottom half of the table just mm. with everything going on lately. Um no, they're still on the where top. They, they're in the top. And keel away from home, especially how many goals. I mean, in, in two games, they really don't want to travel to us with fine anytime soon when they gave up 11 goals away from home when they traveled to us with fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously, just wanted to correct there, but fully agree with everything else you said. Yeah, yes. Kiel's fate was very much sealed, but uh, we think Darmstadt might be a little bit better than they are. But before we head on to our next game, there was a, an incident involving uh, the Nuremberg uh, travelling support at the away block. Uh, Tobias Kemper, of course, was about to take corner, uh, and he was hit on the head with a cup, be it a plastic cup. But, um, Eva, this is... <sighs> it can be a frustrating situation to watch as someone who doesn't hasn't experienced it, because if you watch, look at Brown Trike, for example, you see their athletic tra- track at the home end is littered with plastic cups and stuff like that. But you don't like seeing those kind of instances where it's hitting a player, it's deliberately trying to harm someone. And it's one of those classic cases, just because you bought the ticket doesn't give you the right to 
act in a certain manner um you know at least you still have to be a respectable human being and i mean either you, you you've experienced it you've been in the stadiums as a home but also traveling support like it's disappointing that we even have to bring this up because um you know i would say in most instances the traveling support is usually well behaved but in the redevelopment of the the Ballenfeld tour where the away support is a lot closer to the pitch there's no athletic track um and it's very very close to where that corner flag is um it's pretty disappointing that we even have to talk about fan behavior because i would say for a good portion of this season it's been very very good um but at nuremberg the nuremberg traveling support did let themselves down in this instance well i mean you still have to say it's it's um was one mm. person in the end um and i think he was already identified i'm not completely sure if i um if i'm right here um well i mean i i know that always like um uh, things are throwing around are being thrown around just like in in celebration for example um that that like beer cups and stuff are being thrown mm. around um obviously things like yeah like 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 cubs and i don't know um firelighters and stuff should never be targeted at players i know that this happened um in bielefeld as well when um we still had those 50 percent uh, games. I think it was uh, the game against Gladbach where um, a Gladbach substitution player was hit by like all the fans around. The person who threw the cup were instantly saying, okay, it was this guy. Like, I mean, uh, it says something like, obviously not everyone can say it. Uh, is is the target of that 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 like you can't say because one guy threw or one person threw something the whole away section is responsible for that. Um, I mean you had that. I think especially because back in in March where we had that scene with Bochum against Gladbach where afterwards the game was abandoned because one um, referee assisted was hit. Mm-hmm. Um, in the hat with with a cup, um, and then the game was abandoned. And I know Kassendinger had spoke with Tobias Kemper whether he thinks the game should be abandoned. And Kemper was like, "No, no, let let's play on." Um, I think it's always up to the up to the players uh, if they want to continue. Uh, the rule is different for assistants. I think as soon as there is a referee or referee assistant is attacked, the game is being abandoned right away or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, it it doesn't shed a good light um, on them, but at the same time, like, I'm, I'm always a bit careful to always say, well, football fans can't behave and stuff because, yeah, yeah I think it, it, yeah, just really... Uh, no, put or plays into that narrative of, of the misbehaving football fans who deserve everything or every sort of violence that coming their way. Um, and I have this conversation with, with family and friends who are not into football and and stuff and we know how, how the, the internet, is as, internet is as well, how it's being spun all the time. So it was misbehavior, mm. but let's not. Yep. Like 
when something like this happens and a week or two earlier there was a huge fan incidence there's always talks of how fan scenes must be i don't know be be punished much harder and stuff so i'm like Hmm. saying it again shouldn't happen isn't okay but let's not completely like put every fan of every club of any sort of team into that huge mix of football fans are bad and football fans can't behave like i think if we start problems the the list is endless and let's not like do not throw stuff at people Mm. it's very easy whether it's on the pitch or it's the person next to you or it's in your know at work and stuff just don't throw stuff at other people or spit on other people it's very easy well, I mean, yeah, you, he, that person wouldn't have done it if Tobias Kemper was staring him eye to eye. Like, why would you do it, you know, with his back turned? It's, yeah, all it all it does is it fuels the fire of people who think that football fans are these uncontrollable hooligans, maybe in England, but um, who, um, you know, can't behave themselves when they travel and they're just constantly tearing up crap. And, and you know, we've seen that on... Um, numerous occasions with teams traveling for the cha- for European games and stuff like that but um, yeah you, you, you don't want to create the smoke that fuels the fire and and people who dislike football it gives them all the ammunition they need to, to put harder restrictions when really self-policing is the way to to get that sit those situations um, you know resolved so yeah hopefully um, Hopefully that can be a learning lesson for that fan and we can move on and we shall move on uh, to Karlsruhe and their game in Braunschweig, Eintracht Braunschweig. Braunschweig were hoping to make it a second win in their last three games. Karlsruhe have, after their really good run of form, have hit a bit of a blip, uh, a loss and a draw in their last two. They were hoping to overturn the tide. One thing that's been pretty clear with Braunschweig is that they're maybe slowly turning the corner. This is quite easily manipulated by people who talk about it, i.e. me, um, when a team is actually starting to pick up points and Braunschweig picked up all three in a 2-1 victory. The key ingredients of their victory were sound defensive play, Emmanuel Farai, and the finished product being Anthony Uja. Uja scored twice in this game on 44 and 72 minutes. Uh, Marvin Vanitzek got the equalizer on 54, but it wasn't enough in the end. Um, one thing I do want to talk about is Braunschweig defensively. Uh, their first six games, they gave up 15 goals. They were looked horrible defensively. They looked disjointed. They didn't look like they had players that could play at the Svita Bundesliga level. But since the additions of uh, Benkovic and Natan Dimadina, along with Brian Behrendt, Four goals conceded in their last three games. They've taken seven points from those last three, and they now move up to 16th place. Eva, I want to I believe that Braunschweig were worthy winners in this game. From what I saw, they looked very lively going forward. They were great in transition. They were dangerous at set pieces. They caused Brown, uh, Karlsruhe all, all kinds of trouble, but... Um, were they justified in winning the three points? But for, for, for me, they looked really good going forward. Um, but they were also aided by some pretty naive defending from Karlsruhe. And you look at the two goals they conceded. 
Um, and it could have easily been a third if Uja was onside. Um, they did not defend him well at all, and uh, they were made to pay for it. Yeah, and I mean, especially the the combination with Ferrai was was very lively. I mean, um, it was you you could see that time and time again uh, when the game started. Uh, Kiespec was the one kind of trying that that Karlsruhe wasn't wasn't conceding after just a couple of minutes into the game. Um, and I mean, you you gotta say I think with Karlsruhe especially. Maybe there is time to talk about whether that, from time to time, stone cold finish by Hoffman is being missed. I mean, you you had the chance, for example, with with Nebel, who completely blows that counter attack, like really completely blows it, yeah. and then you had Batmas. So you had chances for cards. So you, I think, we also have to talk about why Nicolau wasn't sent off. I think he already had a yellow card and didn't really understand why he didn't get a second one. Uh, wasn't completely understandable to me. Um, then you have that you have that free kick where do you think Gasbeck isn't positioned very well? Um, mm-hmm. And obviously then Katzwood doesn't come off bad into the second half. They start off pretty well. Um, Neben Nebel nearly with the goal, then obviously you had the Vanitek goal. You should never be that free, so this is back to naive defending by Braunschweig as well. Um, it's really, really bad defending by by Braunschweig. And then you you have one really, really beautiful pass by Marx through Tifferei. It was very well timed, and I think it's it was... Just the whole build up, the whole build up to the two to one was really, really good. Um, and in the end, you always had the feeling that Braunschweig was a bit closer to the three one than Karlsruhe was to level to actually get a point out of that. And so Braunschweig is picking up the points they need to, they they deservedly this would what I meant before where we said, okay, very clear cut after five match days where you thought, okay, this is how we expected it. But as mentioned, I mean, if you, if you look at the table, if you look at the results, you have three teams with eight points, Bielefeld, Sandhausen, Braunschweig. If Bielefeld would have scored a goal less, they would be under Sandhausen. So it's already now, it's a lot of margins that decide where you at at the table. So it's very important to get the goals you you can get to get the points you can get. At this stage, it doesn't really matter how. <laughs> just just collect your points. You can figure out later how you wanna you wanna use that going forward. And I think Braunschweig gets that, and they use that, and they do not try to play. The most beautiful football. I mean, we've seen that they created chances in their first games, but while trying to overcomplicate things going forward, they left too much space in the back. I'm I'm not sure how we want to. Yeah, as mentioned before, that seven all result over Kiel. How we want to, yeah. Anna, put that in the picture. It's a friendly. It's it's a difference. I know that from all preseason and how the pre- how the season started. It's 
they're not playing Kiel anytime soon, or at least not in the next three weeks. So don't know how you want to. Yeah, I don't know how you how you want to analyze that, or I don't know how much em- emphasis you want to put on that. So <laughs> let's not do that. Kites will obviously they they they're tenth, and I think this really sums up their. Not here, not there. They're somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I think that really, really sums it up. To me, um, they had horrors will start into this season, then they were kind of stabilizing. Now they're back to reminding themselves that they had a horrible start to the season. I feel like so. I do not know. They have. We talked about this game against Nuremberg coming up, then Armenia, then Darmstadt. Mm-hmm. Three games. Where you're just going to say, want to at least pick up four points, 46 points, mm. I, I got to say. This is what I want to say. Don't think you get will get the optimum of nine points out of there. Just because, yeah. <laughs> just if you look at the last game, don't think they're going to win against Darmstadt where they're at now. So yeah, this is probably they want to get forty six points out of their their next three games, um, and then but it's still we still don't know what that will mean for them. This is, we don't know. They probably they could probably I don't know lose to Nuremberg, draw with Bielefeld, <laughs> win against Darmstadt, <laughs> still four points. So yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's gonna be. It's going to be wild, right? And with Kaisko, I always have so many question marks, and I always do not know what they, what they're going to do. But I think, as mentioned, deserve win for Braunschweig. Kaisko just too naive, and what they did. Yeah, I was pretty disappointed with the way they defended a lot, a lot of the situations that they played in. And um, you mentioned the free kick that led to the opening goal, and yeah, you're you're hundred percent right on Gersbeck's positioning he actually convinces himself that he's in the right spot and he half hearts the dive and it's when he turns back to half heart the dive he realizes that he's in all sorts of trouble it was just yeah really poor positioning from a goalkeeper who usually has excellent positioning it has to be said that we should actually talk about the the save he made early on in the game off Uja that rocket from inside the box with a brilliant reflex save and you're like well what an unbelievable save that was and then he lets himself down with the the set piece and terms of the breaks of being a goalkeeper it's hard it's hard being a goalkeeper because you obviously um you make one mistake and you can lose a game and well that error proved relatively costly Braunschweiger at Kaiserslautern so, I mean, we talked about seven sevens. Um, maybe we're not going to get there, but heck, we saw 3-3. Three, three. We've seen 4-4 four, four there. Um, shit, anything can happen, to be honest. So, yeah, keep an eye on for that game. That game could be anything. That game's on Sunday. So, uh, yeah, that will be fascinating. And now, one of the biggest games of the match day to end Group 2 at the uh, Sport Sportpark Ronhof. Thomas Sommer. It's Greta Fürth. It's Paderborn. Fürth, bottom of the table heading into match day nine. Desperate to win. Mark Schneider's position in jeopardy against a Paderborn side. Top of the table. Miles ahead in terms of goals scored. It was built as a game. 
that Paderborn could only win. Firth were immediately on the back foot when goalkeeper Andreas Linder was out through, in, through injury. Leon Schaffron, the Firth prodigy, given his first fight at Bundesliga start. He has played this season. He came in for Linda after a concussion uh, where Linda took a knee to the head after saving a penalty against Fortuna Dusseldorf. So, with all that in mind, you would think that the club from Paderborn would just cakewalk their way to three points. But you'd be incorrect. Ferd came on came out with great intensity, desire, passion to really build the foundations of asserting themselves as the team that would win this game. And on 42 minutes, just like they did on match day eight, a set piece would go to the favour of Fürth. And the man who would score would be the exact same person who scored on 42 minutes in Magdeburg. Damian Mikowski, the Polish defender, scoring his second goal of the season. And it was well deserved. Paderborn made a couple of changes during the break. The loss of Felix Platter was a big one, but his substitute... Uh, Dennis Sabeni was on hand to make an impact right away. Wonderful bit of interplay from Paderborn and Sabeni on hand to get his second goal of the campaign. But not deterred. Furt, in what the game opening up, Furt continued to press for a winner and they would get their winner on 73 minutes. Branimir Hurgurta. Who else but Branimir Hurgurta would give a 2-1 lead. They had a chance late on to make it three uh, through Jeremy Dudziak, but he um, he made a meal of his finish. Three points, three valuable points, and the team that had yet to secure a win, rock bottom, migrates up to 17th place, and a big, big win. Eva, it seemed clear from the outset what their game plan was. It was to sit deep, invites the pressure from Paderborn and then counter-press, take possession, counter. Um, and they did that effectively in this game. They were really good on the counter. They had a number of chances. Um, and this is the almost the caveat with Paderborn that they leave themselves open to counter-attacking opportunities. And on this occasion, they were burnt. Yeah, I mean, just... I do not know what was up with their defense in this game, but they they had a very, very bad game. Mm. Um, host ability was missing. Um, communication was bad. Fjord had plenty of chances. We know this from before. Mm. This, this is not anything new. Um, probably Abiyama had the biggest, so it was surprising me how he, how he didn't score that one. Um, and I mean... Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Mikhailski replicating what he did the week before. Um, then you kind of had the feeling for a second food was back in their food ways when just seven minutes after, like obviously seven minutes after, just but just <laughs> four minutes into or five, four minutes, I can't. Math is not my strong suit. <laughs> uh, four minutes into the second half, they, they conceded. But I mean, even after that, Paderborn just didn't really do a lot. And then, obviously, Hugurha probably could have had three espressos in the box before you taking that. Before taking that shot, he had way too much space there. And um, yeah, they could have even had three in the end. It amazes me how Dutia 
chuckles that in the end um in, in the way but yeah deserved win for food uh first win since february um they really really wanted that and i had the feeling i mean we always speak about players playing against a coach and from time to time you had the feeling this was happening at food as well um but i think sky said that or on the sport show that um yeah Max Schneider wanted like a team bonding mm. evening they had a couple of beers and sat together and I had talks and you did have the feeling it helped I mean obviously it's always easier to speak about it when they come off of a week but just body language wise it, it looked like a not completely changed for your team but just small margins that were really working out well for them that communication was better that after they conceded they didn't give up that they kept on believing in themselves and I think that's what got all three points at Paderborn I think maybe in 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 a way they went over their head I mean everyone was telling them how they it was just a question on how high they're gonna win this not if they're gonna win this mm. I think you could see this in a way. And um, I mean, again, for just followers of the Zweite Bundesliga, this is what we love to see. This is what we came here to do, that after eight, nine, ten match days, you don't have the feeling every position in the table is filled, um, that you don't have the feeling you can already, I don't know, buy tickets for the last two matches of the season and you know exactly who's going to get promoted and who's going to get relegated. I think that's what we love about the Zweite Liga and obviously for Paderborn fans it's they're not fond of being part of this exact I know thing that happened but obviously just for the for the league itself it's it's good it's mm. that we always see there there is transitioning, there is some sort of development, there can always be change. And those those are a lot of I don't know, love statements about the title you today, but we love it. So I'm I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> not gonna hide that love. <laughs> you mentioned that they had like a team bonding and it reminded me of that episode of Ted Lasso where they're watching they got the movie night and they're watching uh, the Iron Giant, which is great movie. Great movie, real childhood memory right there. Um, but yeah, and they and they, I think they 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 go and play Everton and they beat Everton for the first time in like sixty years or something. And but like you can't team bonding is so important because you know you've got to play for each other and you know their their previous performance before the Paderborn game they were they were awful against Magdeburg and the goal was a real fluke out of the blue situation, but. Um. Yeah, they were good. They they can like they can do it. It's clear they can do it. We know we've got a question about them uh, at the end of the show that we'll, we'll answer. But um, you know their site. So their their back four is completely new. Hadadi, you know Mikowski, who they brought in before the window closed at uh, Asta, and then Marco Yon. And now Marco Yon is been very very good for them at left back and geez, they might get ready to get the checkbook out and try and buy him 20 year old from on loan from Hoffenheim he's been brilliant for them 
he was fantastic again really good at both ends of the spectrum and yeah they got, they got Sandhausen on the weekend it's a winnable game um, whereas of course we've mentioned Paderborn's game with Darmstadt that will be a tricky one let's take our final break and on the other side we'll discuss the final three games we'll talk about our kick tick and we'll answer the questions that we had uh, out on Twitter on Wednesday uh, we'll be back in a moment to discuss Heidenheim and Kaiserslautern A momentous occasion at the Voigt Arena on Sunday afternoon. Heidenheim was celebrating 15 years of Frank Schmidt football. Schmidt taking Heidenheim from the 5th Division all the way to the precipices, the edge of the Bundesliga. He has been a, mo- a monument figure to the game of football, but also for Heidenheim in particular, for what he has done in helping them become such a stable club and one that is close to the 1st Division. There was a nice TIFO, great gestures, lots of happiness, but of course they were all there for the football as well. Heidenheim got off to a great start. Player who's been absolutely outstanding for them, and uh, remember, I remember at the start of the season, one that caused a little bit of conjecture, a bit of debate and discussion, was Jan Nicholas Bester. And to be fair to say that he's had the best start of the season. Yep, that's my dad joke of the day. Um, when he opened the scoring on 17 minutes, that's two goals for him. He uh, went through and scored a wonderful goal past Andy Luter. Luter probably should have done better, beaten at the near post. Not good enough. But there would be one uh, player who hmm, maybe should be on the plane to Qatar for the United States national team. A bit of a left field option, but um, unlike the some of the plotters that they chuck up there to lead the line, this guy actually scores goals in their league, and that's Terence Boyd. And Terence Boyd would score three minutes later. Um, he would be influential later in the game. But it turned a bit off for Kaiserslautern at the end of the first half. Marlon Ritter sold Andy Luter down the stream. And as Luter tried to control it, ball went to ground. And then he fouled Jan Nicholas Bester. This needed video assistant referee intervention. It was pretty clear-cut for uh, you know anyone who saw the incident that Luther fouled Bester, uh, and obviously the goalkeeper didn't really give much of a fight. He knew he was unfortunate. Funnily enough, had this been taken in the box, this would have been a yellow card, but uh, being that it was a red and he was the last line of defense, he becomes the one who stops a goal-scoring opportunity. Uh Avdo Sparhich comes in. He hasn't made an appearance since match day 25 of the Dritzliga against Efesvars Vikal. Um, sorry, coming in with cold feet, you have to at least try and get to the break without conceding. They conceded immediately from that free kick. Martin Bush with an excellently curled effort, curling away from Sparhich, and it was 2-1 at the break. But there was just something about Heidenheim defensively that was really perplexing. They couldn't stop Terence Boyd, even with the man advantage. And right on the hour mark, you guessed it, Terence Boyd scoring goal number five of the season. And that's how the game would end. Kaiserslautern have now made it four draws on the bounce in a match day where the teams in the top four were starting to win games, including Paderborn. Heidenheim missed a golden opportunity to cement a place in the top three. Now we discuss... This was the big matchup. Meinker against Boyd. It was 
easily one of the best defenders in the Spider Bundesliga against a striker who could be anything. And Meinke had a really tough day. Boyd was superb in this game and he looked dangerous throughout. Could have easily had a hat-trick as well. Um, but the thing that really screams out to me in this game is the individual errors really cost Heidenheim. You look at the first goal, Kevin Muller with a fresh airy. Um, uh, done that a few times as a goalkeeper, but his uh, inability to at least get something on that led to the opening goal. And the second goal, also very preventable, especially when you have a man advantage. This, To me, this speaks some more about the character of Kaiserslautern Eva and they did not stop attacking, even with the disadvantage. They lose Clement to make the substitution for Spahic, but was really, really impressed with um, with the way that they went about it. Their method was fantastic. And you could see at the end of the game how much it meant to Dirk Schuster to get a point at Heidenheim. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, what we know with Kaiserslautern is that they are not really irritated by the fact that they're... One and two goals down. I mean, we know that from the last games against Magdeburg and Darmstadt. And they can really, like... I mean, at some stage, they really have to stop conceding, <laughs> I think. It's, it's an idea, wild guess. Um, and you could see that they were, at the start, they were a bit irritated by the fact that Besta was kind of on the wrong side of the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had to get through that. But, I mean... I was more irritated by Heidenheim because one thing you do not want to do with with Kaiserslautern is letting them run into counterattacks because there is no team in the Zweite Liga that scores more goals after t- counterattacks than Kaiserslautern. So what your basics are against Kaiserslautern, avoid losing possession when Kaiserslautern can go into advantage position avoid that Heidenheim was like no not gonna do that today not not gonna do that (laughs) don't feel like it wanna wanna do this interesting and they really I mean even in in those last 30 minutes both teams could really change something and obviously Kaiserslautern was there okay we know we could score a third goal but we also man down is it worth the risk we draw against Heidenheim. That's cool. Heidenheim should have offered more, mm. in my opinion. They were one person more. We know what they can do at home. They, they, they have the quality to do that, and they didn't do a lot. I mean, they they could have have a goal more. Best the hit hit the crossbar as well before before the bush goal um but just in general yeah i'm a, i'm not sure with once again high nine where they at it it fits into la- the last seasons but they're still like games like that they they irritate me <laughs> they irritate <laughs> me a lot you could say because we know that they can do better but, I mean, we have seen, if you compare it to the game against Bielefeld as well, where they were the much better team, but they just they, they were missing that last 1% or 2% to actually win a game against a team who who they had an advantage over. So, 
yeah, not not sure. Um, and I think even uh, there were one man more against Bielefeld as well because uh, Jakob was sent off, mm. and they couldn't use that advantage there either. So not sure. I mean, they even nearly conceded against Bielefeld being one man down as well. Mm. Uh, or their, their opponents being one man down. I mean, in the end, it was uh, over the line, obviously. But you really have the feeling that for them, it's more difficult being men more in advantage, especially against a team where when one of their most important players, I mean, you got to say as well, it's, it sounds weird, but it's a, a difference losing your, your goalkeeper because... Obviously, you don't have to change tactics as much. Obviously, you have to take a person off, mm-hmm. but you don't have to switch too much yep. with the rest remaining nine players. Kinda. So, yeah, it's just I have the feeling that that Kaiserslautern knew what they could do. They just had to had to serve balls up front with with counter attacks, and that wasn't being destroyed by a change. In goalkeeping position and taking Clement off. So, mm. yeah. And Heidenheim hadn't really anything to put against that. So, yeah, in the end, big, big result for Kaiserslautern, but also deserved points for them. They yeah. could have they could have won this in the end, even, as you, as you mentioned, because Boyd could have had, had a net trick, yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting. When you have the man advantage, you get kind of caught in the two minds. They they were trying to control the game, but they didn't kill the game. They didn't they didn't end the hope? There's a saying that the hope kills you, but didn't kill Kaiserslautern with essentially their first chance of the second half, and they walked it in. They walked it in. Ritter and Boyd inside the six. It's inexcusable how. Um, Heidenheim, at the best of times, were thrown off in transition. You know, they didn't really know how to contain Ritter at, at patches when he was essentially having to play his normal role as, as an eight, but also playing behind Boyd, essentially. You know, really love... I just love their setup, but they've done this so many times this season where the games, they, they just don't quit. It's as if Dirk Schuster has a sign-up in the dressing room to remind the players what they need to do. It's very simple. And it's extraordinary because you look at the Magdeburg game, they were 3-1 down. 2-0 down against Darmstadt. They came from behind twice in this game. This team, where we out of the teams that were promoted... They were the last to, to book a place in the Spider Bundesliga. Has incredible resolve and they just don't know when they're beaten. And this was again a case today on the weekend where they just didn't let Heidenheim believe that they were done and they found a result and kudos to them. You know, it may be a fourth consecutive draw. And that's you know, and they uh defensively they they need to work on it. You know, 15 goals compared to some of the teams around them. You know, it's only a little bit more, but the good thing for them is they can score goals. They can score goals. In fact, they are, if I'm not mistaken, they've scored the second most goals in the division. So they can score goals, but 
if they can defend, then this team is a whole nother beast. So, yeah, uh, they've got branch fight, as we mentioned. Heidenheim are at St. Pauli. That is the World Feed game. That is the late Saturday night kickoff. Um, check your local listings and guides, of course, if you want to check that game out, which I reckon you should. Now, let's move to Zanhausen. They hosted Hanover. Zanhausen's patch of form has been, well, not great. Winless in the last four. Hanover, on the other hand, hoping to get back to winning ways after their draw on the previous match day against Braunschweig. Whew. Well, Hanover were the slower starting team, realistically. Sandhausen had some really good chances early on. But of course, as we know, inserts broken record. If you don't take your chances, you will be punished. And of course, Cedric Toykert would score on 14 minutes to give Hanover a lead, a lead that they would carry through to the end of the first half. The VAR was actually quite busy in this game uh, because on 56 minutes, Christian Kinsombi was brought down by a Phil Neiman. Uh, Neumann. Neumann. Neumann fouled him. And the referee said, no dice, play on, um, was Wolfgang Hasselberger. But with consultation from the video assistant referee, a clear and obvious foul was missed and a penalty was given and David Kinsombi uh, bared the fruits of the labour of his brother and it was 1-1. There was almost another penalty. Uh, when Kinsombi was brought down in the box by Neumann, it would have been a second yellow card. He would have been sent off. But on this instance, there was no clear and obvious foul to speak of. The, yellow, the second yellow was rescinded and game was play on and then Hanover would score. Harvard Nilsson has been arguably one of Hanover's best players this season. So when he headed in on 65 minutes, it was no surprise. Then they took a 3-1 advantage. Sam Arroyo, who's been really good playing in that uh, right midfield, right wing back role. He was completely missed by Sandhausen defensively. I know he's not the tallest man, but uh, he's not wearing the same colored jersey. So you should be able to see him. The ball comes in from the back post from Derek Kuhn and Maroya. Wonderfully done and tore for Hanover. But that two-goal advantage lasted 90 seconds. Bashkim Ardini making it 3-2. But Sanhausen could not find an equalizer. It means that their run of games without a win extends to six. Hanover moves up to fourth place and they are now five games unbeaten. There's a lot to unpack in this game. VAR was used well. Was it efficiently used? Well, probably not. Not surprising. But a big result for Hanover because we know that these bogey kind of games, they come off a a one-all draw against Braunschweig where they were pretty poor. They weren't like dominant, let's say, but they were efficient when they needed to be. Three of their six shots on target led to goals. Um, they obviously got some good goalkeeping play from Ron Robertsilo, who's had a bit of a renaissance kind of season. But a big result for them, mainly because it gets that keeps them in the mix. But also, when you look at the next few games they've got coming up. And points are at a premium. And we're going to see how good this Hanover team really is. 
Um, this win against a, a tricky Sennhausen opponent was vital for them, and they achieved it. Yeah, and I mean, as mentioned before, when we talked about the Hamburg game, um, they do not always need to, to show 100% to get, get points and even get a win out of games. And I mean, if you if you look at the first 20 minutes, Sennhausen had 75% possession. Um, and that it's huge. I mean... Obviously, we know that 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 doesn't mean anything if you can't do a lot with possession. But it was like the first twenty minutes were were very weird. I mean, in, in general, I think similar to the be the fake here game was a really fun game to watch. It was once again a bit killed by the VAR decisions because again they came to the correct decision, but it just took way too long way too long to decide that obviously it's always easy to say that when you're sitting in front of a tv but i mean if i've seen the scene 20 times and and then you have to like the var seen it then the ref on the pitch sees it again and again and again and i think in a way that the referee was trying to kind of show confidence in what he's doing, although he does not have a lot of, of experience refereeing in the Zweite Liga. But it kind of, it didn't really work out because obviously it does not look good when your your penalty or non-penalty decision is being overruled twice. Um, and in that, in that way, it just, and I mean, even before he wasn't really good there were plenty of times where, you, um, where one of the two teams were in attacking, and then there was a foul, and he always gave a gave a free kick and never let the game play on for the advantage of the team in attack. And you could see after a while that I, I think, especially Hannover, really got frustrated with saying, "Look, just let it play on. We have an advantage here." Um, but yeah, I mean, I think in the end it's um, Sandhausen with what what they brought offensively on the pitch. It was good, but defensively it was way way too sloppy. And honestly, in in a way, I was reminded of the time before Alois Schwarz took over, just on how they <laughs> the, the the ugly word uh, the before Alois Schwarz era. Um, and obviously, then then you have a team like Hanover who uses every mistake you make. Um, yeah, and I mean, in the end, uh, okay win for Hanover. But as we mentioned before, the upcoming weeks, Hamburg, Heidenheim, it's going to be it's going to be tough. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. <laughs> I'm laughing because you obviously forgot that they've also got Armenia Bielefeld. Which is a uh, as much I want to I want to say that, but we're not in the top ten. It does not make sense to hey, name us. Hey, Bielefeld's record in Hanover is pretty solid, so mm-hmm. yeah. But sadly, there's no Mirko Slomka on the sidelines. <laughs> we can we can we can arrange that. 
We can arrange that, sure, yeah. sure. I mean, Michael Henke was Bayern coach yesterday, so... Uh, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> we, we also got to see Felix Wiedwald, who somehow got dragged into a testimonial game, but hey, kudos to him. He's still living off that those two really good seasons where Bremen avoided relegation, so, you know, kudos to him. Yeah, I think the result sit, speaks for itself, really. Um, yeah, Sennhausen need a win. <laughs> That's, I mean, without sounding, you know, blunt, Winning will cure the will is the tonic that they need, and to be honest, um, Grudefurt, Magdeborg, then Paderborn, two teams, you know the first two sides, both six pointers, massive games for them, get results, and you can progress up the table. But yeah, will be interesting to see how both these teams fare in the coming weeks. And finally, our last game of our Match Day 9 review brings us to Regensburg. Jan Regensburg taking on FC St. Pauli. Regensburg, as we have discussed time and time again, hadn't scored in six games. They were winless in their last seven heading into this match. Would they turn the tide? For St. Pauli, it would be the worst of occasions for them. Not only would you lose this game, but beaten by someone who used to play for you. Christian Fiat was drafted at left back and he caused all kinds of, of trouble for St. Pauli. And that started on seven minutes when Fiat was fouled by Saliakis, initially not given as a penalty and then correctly given as a penalty. Clear and obvious foul for mine, no problem. Andreas Albers putting the ball into the back of the net, 1-0. The thing is, St. Pauli were the better team in the early phases. Let Pacarata hit the post off a free kick. They sh- they just didn't have the ball bounce the right way for them. Eggestein had a couple of instances where the ball bounced because correctly they might get a goal. Um, but it wasn't to be because on 40 minutes, Andreas Albers scores again. Viet again on hand to assist. Albers knocking it home. And that was it. Regensburg win for the first time since match day one when they beat Darmstadt. Ironically, by the same scoreline, two goals to nil. It's their first clean sheet since match day three against FC Nuremberg. For St. Pauli, they're now without a win since match day four. It's also significant because that was the last time they kept the clean sheet. That was a 3-0 win. Let's discuss, let's talk about St. Pauli because... They've slipped under the radar a little bit and not in a good way. They've had a lot of draws recently and this result really encapsulates the problems that we were worried about at the start of the season. It's that top third of the pitch. They had their chances. Amin Yido had chances. Eggestein had chances. Pacarada had chances. They had chances. But this team, it's... It's becoming almost contagious. Uh, I don't want to say the Y word, but um, they have the yips. They have the yips in front of goal. And none greater evidence of that was in Regensburg, where they couldn't buy a goal. They could have gone to a merchant and said, I want to buy one goal, please. And the merchant would have just given them the refund because they could not get one. And... What was a frustrating day at the office was compounded by the fact that two of the players that were playing for Regensburg formerly played for St. Pauli Stojanovic. Yep, we remember him from a long time ago. And Christian Fiat, who left in the summer, 
big loss for St. Pauli, and now they're in danger of being reeled in by the teams below them. Yeah, and I mean, it's in a way, it's what we said before the season started, that we weren't completely sure about St. Pauli. Um, we kind of had the feeling they already played their optimum last season and went on and bottled it. And in a way, we're at the same time, we were proven wrong and right so far in the season, I would tend to say. I mean, even even if you fail to score in a game where you better, you should never lose it that way. Obviously, conceding the penalty early on, I'm not as clear on that as you are. I think it could be discussable. I think it's harsh decision after all. Um, but like even then, you shouldn't like you shouldn't lose this um, without scoring a goal on your own. So that's. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's in a way it's a very typical St. Pauli game, I would say. Um I would think it it would have gone differently at home. We know away from home St. Pauli is a very different team. Uh you do not have the feeling they can always turn it around. And obviously for Ringsburg they knew all right this is this is not a good game. This doesn't mean a turnaround, but we stopped Whatever we did, we scored what after nine more than nine hours again. Mm. Um, we we gotta use this now, and I think um, I think even like if you look at who they're playing next with Magdeburg and Fürth, who's very very important before the international break to get those three points to get back to scoring, um, and and from the Pauli, obviously they have to show different ways on Saturday night against Heidenheim, um, especially at home, um, because, yeah, it's, you can't always depend on, like, things like, okay, at some stage, Pacarada is going to fight Irvine, or Eggestein is going to score three out of his four shots on target. Like, you you have to, we always have the feeling with St. Pauli that they have a plan A. As soon as plan A isn't working, there is no plan B. Plan A can consist of certain ways to score a goal, but if doesn't this doesn't work, there's no other way. And then they shed a light on how defensively they still have a lot of problems and they still have to find themselves. This is what we have been saying at the start of the season, that especially the Nuremberg game could have gone really, really differently um, if Nuremberg would have scored the, the, like the opportunities St. Pauli was essentially creating for them. Um, and yeah, obviously it hurts if, if one of the plays that comes out of your youth is showing what he can do, but at the same time, like, he's not a way to to, to lose. Like, you shouldn't lose like that. Yeah, they just there's really not a lot to say about it. It's just they've they've had a few of these games where they've shown to be the more um, authoritative team, and then they've found a way not to win. Um, 
yeah, it's just miftifying. The results need... Like, their next three games have started to get a little bit harder. Heidenheim, as Eva mentioned, they've got Braunschweig away, and Braunschweig is showing a little bit. And then, of course, the Hamburg Derby at home against Haasfeld, and that game becomes a lot harder if the next two games don't particularly go in a positive direction. Now, we asked on Wednesday if um, you had any questions you wanted to talk, wanted us to discuss. We got three of them. Two of them are genuine football questions, and one is a bit of a laugh. So, in the spirit of the fact that this question was asked, we are going to answer it in... You know, as a little bit of an ice-breaking fun type question. Of course, it's from the uh, the one and only Ronan Murphy, known for his gags and actually being a funny football pundit, but also a nice guy that should be mentioned. It's lost when he's constantly abused by people who know nothing about football whatsoever, uh, and they live in their parents' basement. But um, yeah, let's ask. Let's uh, see what Ronan wants to answer. Wants us to answer. If James Bond and Jason Bourne existed in the same universe, which of them would bake the best cupcakes? Now, obviously, as someone who is not particularly great in the kitchen, uh, I will defer this one to Eva and then come up with some sort of nonsensical answer. Um, Eva, what do you reckon? Who do you think would be the best? I'm going to say James Bond because there are more people who have played James Bond throughout the years Mm. than Jason Bourne. Fair. So you have more people who can actually have a try on baking the best cupcakes and Jason Bourne is always the same person. So that's my pick. <laughs> there, we, there we have it. Um, I, I, I'm going to overthink this a little bit. I've just recently been watching The Iron Chef, the good one, the one that was in Japan in the 90s. And, um, you know, I see James Bond as someone who'd be, be very elegant, really upper class type, dessert, you know, cupcake. It'll be very sophisticated um, you know, that's kind of the way I'd see it, whereas Bourne would be more uh, more of a modern take on it, but very simplistic, and, but yeah, I would also agree James Bond would actually make better cupcakes, so that's my answer. Um, a question from the guys at the German Football Podcast. Uh, you should definitely go listen to them. They're actually going to be our podcast recommendation, so we're going to get that out of the way now. Uh, listen to Colin... George, Robert, and Roy. The boys absolutely chopping up with some unique perspective on football fan scene and culture. Colin had recently just done a trip in Germany, again, um, in the Rhineland, so uh, his part one is out, so go check that out. They ask, for Armenia, Bielefeld, and Grudefeld's sloppy start to the season, would you put it down to poor managerial appointments or failing to adapt quickly back to the Schweizer Bundesliga? Or is it both? Um, Eva, you can have first crack on this one. You've got first-hand experience of this one, so you can have <laughs> this one. Um, do we think the appointments of Uli Forta and Mark Schneider were they poor appointments, or do we think that they just the sides didn't adapt to the league quick enough, or is it both? What do you? What is your perspective? You can give us Bielefeld's perspective, and I'll I'll take Fert on. Well, I think statistically it's not very difficult to say. It's uh, down to the manager, at least in Bielefeld, uh, because if we look at how Bielefeld performed under Daniel Scherning. Um, at the same time, I want to say, I think due to last and maybe the season before a bit as well, where 
kind of bound to the like the idea that relegated teams are way better than the rest of the league um, because due to the fact that we had a lot of big teams getting relegated like ha- Hamburg like Stuttgart like Werder and like Schalke and with Werder and Schalke getting promoter right away which is not a typical thing I mean we've pointed that out throughout last season but I also think that it kind of shifted the expectations you have of promoted sites or and then relegated sites back to the Zweite Liga you like that they bring much more quality and that the like I think it, it really has shifted away in, in a weird way that we automatically think um, they have to be in the top three for the rest of this season. Obviously, it's really, it it's, has been very difficult season for both Fürth and, and Bielefeld, but in very different ways, I think, where if you look at Bielefeld, they they struggle to score goals in both Bundesliga seasons. They're struggling to score goals now. And it, I think it has to do with, with, um, and this is what actually Fabian Klose said in a podcast, um, in an Armenia podcast that obviously had a lot to do mentally that you have been in a very negative spiral since February. And this is the same with Fürth. It's very difficult to come out with, with all of COVID, it's a huge, yeah, it's, it's really difficult if you look, I mean, at the moment, look at VfL Bochum, they struggle as well. It's, and I think it has a lot to do with that all coming together and then managers not working how, how they're supposed to, that you try to get someone new in who's not some sort of burnt subject in the league. And it, like I think it's it's not only two things or one things, but one thing is a lot of things combined for both clubs, not only for Bielefeld but also for Fürth. So there are a lot of parallels for both clubs. There has been throughout the Bundesliga season, there has been throughout their relegation, and now their struggle to get accompanied. I don't think that they're underestimated the Zweite Liga. I just think that they the quality of the Zweite Liga is not the the same as it was a couple of years ago. Um, and I mean, if you look back at, if we take a look back, teams like Paderborn, Kaiserslautern, Braunschweig, they all struggled when they got relegated. Because at the same time, the the, the difference between Bundesliga and Zweite Liga is huge, but mainly financially, mm-hmm. first of all. And, but at the same time, it's not that huge that you think if you get relegated that you're some sort of big shot in that league because in the end the 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 quality of the Twitter Bundesliga is actually higher than I think it's being seen mm-hmm. and I think that's one of one of the differences and it has been leveled up due to the fact that we still have clubs like Hamburg, Hanover, Düsseldorf and and a lot of teams who have been constantly staying in this league for such a long time um, that this is why why the quality is actually higher than you think, but obviously the the outcome isn't always shown. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been tight throughout this campaign. I think with Furt, when you lose a lot, <laughs> and they did a lot of losing last season, and then their coach essentially quit on them towards the end of the season to prepare for the Hanover job, there is a lot of disjointedness that... In, and, and you need to gain the trust of the playing group. And obviously, we talked about it earlier on with them that they the playing group didn't trust Mark Schneider enough. And you need, as a, as a collective, you need to be on the same page. I think with, with, with Furt and Schneider, it's a case of we need to see the next couple of weeks. They've they got the win, finally. Um, so they are on the board, but what they do over the next few weeks will really determine if um, it was a managerial problem or uh, an adaptability. I don't think many had Furt even in the top six, challenging to, to re- recommence promotion. Um, and I think I had them 13th. So they're kind of where they're in the area where I thought they would be. So I, I would, it, it, it is a bit of both. They, they, it's, it's a bit of, they, they, they've been a bit unlucky. They haven't taken their chances in a few games and it's cost them. Uh, they had a few games where they've been absolutely smashed off the park. Um, so th- there's a lot of factors at play. But yeah, uh, Schneider would do himself a favour of winning a few games and that would certainly ease the pressure. And lastly, from, it was Dr. Steel Penguin. Used to be Steel Penguin. Good to see he's upgraded. Um, hope you're doing well. Uh, what do you think? Will, what do you think about the season so far? Uh, any surprises and disappointments? I think it's fair to say this season has been extraordinarily close and even, even though we're a quarter of the way through the season, it's as unpredictable as ever. Um, let's get some surprise. One surprise and one disappointment. Eva, I'll let you go first. Um, who has been a surprise in a good way, and who has uh, uh, fallen below your expectations? I mean, the thing is, in a way, I predicted what happened with Paderborn. So it's, I said they're going to be in the top five. So. I, I didn't. <laughs> you, you, gonna say, maybe it's a surprise on how good they're performing. Um, probably. Um, and well, all the people they got in um that they're probably a surprise and a disappointment well, i mean i could go for food and be the fair but we discussed them i think i'm go in a weird way i'm i'm gonna say dusseldorf just Ooh. because like disappointment is very harsh but just on how especially away from home they like if they want to get promoted they really want to need to step that up um and they're still one of my favorite contenders for promotion mm. but like they really we have a lot of teams who perform who just do not show their same faces away and and from home and at home but i think especially for Düsseldorf, it's it's Düsseldorf and paderborn actually both are like biggest ones with the difference that Paderborn is still picking up more points than Dusseldorf is. But like it, it sounds weird picking Dusseldorf, but I think just because 
yeah, the the way performances do do disappoint me a bit. Interesting. I'm gonna say my surprise so far is Darmstadt purely for the fact that it the the agonizing way that they fell short um at the end of last season, missing out on the playoff by goal difference. Um it probably actually did them a favour because we've seen how teams that struggle, um, you know, to, to, to repeat effort after losing in the playoffs. So for me, probably them um, didn't think they would be in the top three. I had them, I think, seventh or eighth. Um, and they, they might end up finishing there, but their start of the season after that first loss has been really impressive. Disappointment is Nuremberg thought this might be the year that they um, start to get it together. They'd, they'd been building towards being a potential contender for promotion, um, but they've been really, really disappointing. And the the, the issues that they thought they'd, they'd addressed in regards to personnel haven't fixed it. And at some stage, you have to critique the method um, that they play. And... Yeah, nine goals, which is the second least in the division, equal with Hansa, or two more than Jan Regensborg in nine games. It speaks for itself. So for me, um, they've been really disappointing, and you know they they need to start picking it up. Otherwise, uh, teams like um, you know Sandhausen and Braunschweig and and maybe even Furt or even Bielefeld might actually leapfrog them. So yeah. That would be who I'd have as my disappointment so far. Our kick tip, of course. Don't forget to get your tips in this week for match day 10. Our leader remains Robin Nulfia Nulfia with 107 points. Alex top scored with 15. Congratulations to you. Um, of course, we've mentioned the German Football Podcast as a recommendation. Um, Eva, is there anything you want to talk about yeah, so obviously uh, this is not a podcast recommendation, but um, with everything that goes goes on in Iran, um, there is obviously internet is being censored, internet access, and I mean obviously, especially nowadays, we we profit a lot with how people tell us what's going on, and they're part of the world, and there's a very very easy way in how you at home doesn't cost you anything it doesn't give you any sort of trouble can help people have internet access it's called called snowflake it's uh it's a project that you can or it's like an extension for your browser um and it helps people having internet access it doesn't give you any sort of trouble um if you want if you are searching for a way to help um that is a very good one as well as amplifying voices of of experts of people in the iran of of um yeah people who know best and uh yeah do not listen to people who just have their racist i don't know thoughts in in mind and well yeah listen to the people who know best and uh who know what's going on who are trained to most of the time actually freely educate you about what's going on and try to support them um and it's just yeah it's it's just very very easy i installed it and you can help people really have internet access and tell you and also just contact their families if they're not in the run to tell them what's going on 
That is a very good and important project, especially with everything that is happening in Iran at the moment. That's all the time we have for this week's edition of the Svarta Bundesliga podcast. We will be back again next Wednesday to discuss all the action from Match Day 10. Until then, have a fantastic week. Hopefully it is a good one for you. Uh, we can't wait for the Spider Bundesliga to be back. And we'll see you next week. Catch you.